1: Pardon the interruption, but I'm Pablo Torre. It is our last show of the week, Tony, and I'm always going to remember this.
0: Tony Kornheiser, really? You need more going on in your life. If you think this is important, or you're always going to remember it, I, I remember rock and roll songs from the '60s and nothing since. <laughs> nothing.
2: Really, I don't even it's know just
1: when I it's eat just a haze. Anymore. Right, right, right. right. Vietnam is. on is it more is. or less a haze for Tony Kornheiser. Yeah. Got it. Pretty know much, it. We'll except for rock be and better. roll
0: songs in the '60s. I'm good. No wait Welcome to PTI, boys and girls. Wilbon took off the first four days of the week, so what's one more? Here in this place is our great friend from the ESPN Daily Podcast, and what is alleged to be my favorite online show, debatable. Yes. Mr. Pablo Torre. <laughs> That's good. And we begin today with the college football playoff expanding from four teams to 12 teams. This just happened, kids. The board of managers voted today to approve the format that will place the six highest-ranked conference champions in a pool with six at-largest. The date of implementation will be decided by conference commissioners, but could be as soon as 2024. Pablo, your thoughts on this whole deal?
1: My first thought, Tony, is that I want to quote you quoting someone else to you. Right. It's the Don Almeyer quote, first and foremost. Right. Like, why is any of this happening? The answer to all of your questions is money. Right. Like, so I have been I have been numb to this, Tony. I've been numb to this. Like maybe at one point seeing this headline, 12 playoff teams would have been jarring. But I've been expecting this because it's almost more surprising. Actually, it's flat out more surprising that it's taken this long to me because what do we get? We get a deal right now that ESPN holds that's about $600 million for the college football playoff. Theoretically, when this gets instituted, that'll go for approximately a projected $1.2 billion. And so we can talk about the games and the impact on the sport itself. But the top line item here is that everything's getting more expensive.
0: So my first thought when I heard about this was, wait a second, they're going from 4 to 12? They're not going to 8. They're going from 4 to 12. That's too many. It's a many. weird number. I mean, just in my mind. But my second thought, and I wrote this stuff down, was that 12 is what happens to keep the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big 12 alive. Yes. To keep them in something. And that way conferences don't continue this sort of roll down the hill, absorbing every other team that wants to get in. The other thing I thought of right away was that college football, I believe, Pablo, has been slow to understand its own power. It has been slow to understand what Americans think of playoffs, weeks of playoffs in sports. And maybe college football looked at March Madness and said, is there something we can do here? Because college football is the second biggest sport in America Correct. Behind the NFL, it is way ahead of the NBA. It is way ahead, of, it's way ahead of everything else. And now you're going to get three to four weeks of a college playoff. And all you really have to do is throw the anachronistic bowl games off the bus. And it's time to do that because they are relics. They're relics.
1: They are are relics, Tony. You're so right about conference commissioners, the conferences themselves, finding a new lease on life because of this. We have entered this year a time when they have been more endangered than ever. Now they are guaranteed life support. But the other thing, the criticism, the reason this hasn't happened allegedly is because people have feared in college football that this would devalue the regular season. And you mentioned... No. The NFL. And to no. that, I, I no. ask anybody who believes that, how has a postseason, an expanded postseason, worked out for the NFL as the value of their regular season is concerned? Because I don't buy it for that reason.
0: No, you're, you're 100% right. You're 100% right in this. And, and the Pac-12, depleted as it is, and the ACC and the Big 12, they'll get one in. Somebody else will get one in. Notre Dame will automatically get in. Uh, and always. then the SEC and the Big 10 will as have as usual.
1: Else. As usual.
0: Yeah. Deservedly. Let's move to tennis. <laughs> Serena Williams, the queen of the night at the U.S. Open, goes tonight against Ayla Tomjanovic, who is ranked 46th in the world. Rafael Nadal, Nadal went last night, and after dropping the first set, as he did in the first round, came back yep. to beat his old nemesis, Fabio Fanini, in four sets, as he did in the first round, four sets. Pablo, looking forward, in whom are you more confident to make it through the long weekend?
1: I did not expect to be saying Serena as the answer to this question, but I believe it's Serena, Tony. And I say that because I watched Nadal, and I called my friend who is a Nadal superfan, Ezra Edelman, and I asked him, what did Nadal look like to you? And what he told me, Tony, as a superfan of this man, is that he looked as bad as I have ever seen him. And that's not even counting Ooh. the bloody nose and the Ooh. racket, hitting him in the face and all of that. It's because that abdominal muscle, which he tore, I believe, two months ago, still looks like it's bothering him. His serve does not look like it's the same. His movement does not look the same. And so Nadal, to me, we said it before yesterday, right? Great valor in the attempt, but he is currently looking like a shell of himself even if he won this match.
0: Okay, I'm gonna agree with you about Serena. I used the phrase the other day, the Serena effect. I'm going to use it again. She makes us able to believe in anything being possible. She packs that room with 25,000 people, however it is, who are there to cheer for everybody except her opponent. Okay, (laughs) and the reason and what's going to happen to Tomjanovic is what happened the other night. She is going to be emotionally devastated by the fact that every single person there wants Serena to win and will cheer for her when she makes a mistake. Serena can get to the quarters, I believe, without having to play a seated person. And every time she goes out there, she's not who she was, but every time she goes out there, she gets a little closer to form. I disagree with you on Nadal. I think Nadal is going to be fine, and not because he's trying to recapture anything like Serena is, but because so far this year, he's been the best tennis player in the world. He won the Australian Open. Djokovic had been... Thrown out of the country, he won the French, and I think he beat Djokovic on the way. He got to the semis in Wimbledon. You're right about the torn muscles, his abdominal torn muscles. But I don't. I'm not afraid that he's going to drop the first set to Richard Gasquet. I, I, I just don't <laughs> think he's going to drop three. I don't. So- and, and I will continue just for a second. To tell people yes. how lucky they are if they go to these matches because they're seeing two of the greatest players of all time. Some will say the two greatest all time. I won't say that, but they are great players.
1: No, there's a plausible case that we are watching two goats at the same time. And you're right about Nadal this year, Tony. 21-0 in Grand Slam matches. I just believe that he's looking slower and slower, and regression comes for his mean. But Serena, one more thing. The fact that she lost with Venus in doubles last night I yeah. think is... Help, sir! A boon to her, exactly. A boon for this quarterfinal run that I expect now. After thinking that she was going to lose in the last match,
0: I watched the doubles. It was was wonderful to watch. They were just wailing away at the ball, hitting it so hard. It was great. (laughs) Let's go to golf. The PGA Tour is dark this week, but the Saudi Tour is playing near Boston. Still not on television yet. Phil Mickelson, the biggest get on the Saudi Tour, told Sports Illustrated, "quote We're just getting started. All players should be appreciative of what Liv is doing." Every player is benefiting, close quote. Pablo, does Mickelson have a point?
1: Tony, he does, and I want to be clear about this. He does when you take this whole conversation out of the context of any of the morality involved with Jamal Khashoggi and their treatment of gay people and all of that stuff, talking only about the business of golf. The only surprise here for me is that Phil Mickelson is not crowing louder about this because he's right. He's right. And if you're a PGA Tour player, Tony, if you're a PGA Tour partisan now, there is no question that you feel more like a hero, that you have more money in your bank account, potentially and possibly immediately, and that this whole thing is going to have a positive net effect for the business of your bank account. That to me seems indisputable at this point.
0: Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to quote myself again, because if I don't, nobody else will. The other day I referred to uh, Mickelson as Cassandra. You know, doomed to to be telling the truth and nobody will pay attention. Greek mythology. He's 100% right. He's 100% right. There's money for everybody now. And there is the morality of the money. But if you choose to ignore that, if you go to the other side, there's more money for the PGA players. There's much more money. That doesn't mean it's guaranteed like it is in the Saudi tour. There's a big pit of money that you can (laughs) roll yourself around in. And what does this show you? It shows you that when there's not a monopoly, when there's active competition, competition. the players, the workers benefit. But Phil Mickelson is 100% right in this. That's what has gone on here at the moment. That, there's all this money. This is Pablo. 50 years ago, 40 years ago. There was the AFL and the NFL. There was the ABA and the NBA. There was the WHA and the NHL. Golf never had that. This no. is golf's turn. And every and, and they need more players. And to get the players, they have to give them money. I don't know when this will end. I don't know how it's going to end. But I believe that when the music stops, there's not going to be a chair for Greg Norman. And there's not going to be a chair for Jay Monahan Because they are, have antagonized too many people.
1: No, and what's happening right now, Tony, right? And again, because we're finally at the... The real core of the story in the eyes of all of these golfers, it has never been about geopolitics. It has always been about golf. That was always embedded in Phil's quote from the beginning. It's, again, it's the money. It's the quote we started with. The fact is, these other guys who remained and didn't go over to live, they now get to feel, again, heroic, right? So they benefit from this, not only in terms of finance, but in terms of reputation, and that's where the live tour players, they can't be loving, obviously, the, the consequences of this new
0: market. All right, let's take a break. Coming up, why is Notre Dame such an underdog tomorrow? 17 and a half. We're going to ask David Pollack.
1: We'll also ask him about Lincoln Riley's debut with USC and also Brian Kelly's, Tony, with LSU.
0: By the way, Gary Player came out against Cam Smith oh, doing this and great, also crushed whoa, Henrik Stenson. Gary
1: Player.
2: Just yeah.
0: crushed him.
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: The first big weekend of college football is upon us, which makes it a great time to bring in our friend from college game day, David Pollack, who's been sitting in that chair since seven o'clock in the morning. We will ask you about the college football playoff expansion in a moment, but let's start with why you're there. You're in Columbus, Ohio for Ohio State against Notre Dame. The Buckeyes are favored by 17 and a half points. That is a ton of points against the number five team in the country. It's an extraordinary spread. Is the difference in quality between these teams that big in your mind?
3: I think it is Tony unfortunately and I say that because I think you got a chance of seeing one of the best offenses in the history of college football. You saw Joe Burrow in 19 you know set the world on fire. You saw Kyler Murray with Oklahoma. I think this offense has the potential when you look at having a dynamic running back that can take it the distance anytime, having receivers out wide and a quarterback that was, you know, 44 touchdowns, six interceptions his first year in the system, this offense is going to be silly. It's going to be so good. You're playing at home, first game of the season, everybody healthy. And then on the other side, I think it's just you're breaking in a bunch of new characters, a new quarterback, a new coach, a first-time head coach ever at 36. And your first game, first of all, your first coaching gig is the head coach of Notre Dame, and you're coaching in the horseshoe against your alma mater. So there's a lot of storylines and a lot going on, but this Ohio State defense, if it's much improved, means Ohio State's going to be that much better than Notre Dame.
1: David, Georgia is similarly massively favored over Oregon this weekend. We know you played at Georgia. You know the Bulldogs well. What chance do you give the Ducks of upsetting your alma mater?
3: I give Oregon a better chance than I give Notre Dame because here's what I think about Georgia. Fifteen players got drafted. Not like four Hmm. or five. (laughs) Fifteen. Five first-round picks got drafted just on defense. So – I know Georgia's defense is going to be talented. I know they've recruited all these kids, but experience is the best teacher. So I do think they'll give up some plays. Bo Nix being the quarterback for Oregon I think will be a big deal because Bo Nix has the ability to scramble, make plays, get those first downs, make those plays that aren't scripted happen for you. So Dan Lanning, the new quarterback – or the new coach, excuse me, for Oregon, where did he come from? He came straight from Georgia. He knows exactly what – Todd Monk the offensive coordinator for Georgia wants to do in what situations, how he scripts things. So I, I, do th- I do give them a chance for that because I think there's a lot of talent with Oregon and I think a coach with familiarity, and more importantly, Bo Nix, the ability to scramble. And the ability that he's already played against SEC teams, I don't think he'll be shaken or rattled.
1: So Dan Lanning's a notable coaching debut in Oregon. Two other ones, though, across the country, Lincoln Riley at USC, Brian Kelly at LSU. What is intriguing to you? David, when you look at those two guys popping up in new places.
3: Well, I'm intrigued by USC when I see what they're going to be. Listen, I I know he went in the transfer portal and Lincoln Riley got 4,000 kids and all these kids (laughs) all these superstars. And... But you know what? If you don't have a line of scrimmage and you're not great there, I, I want to I see how well you do. And I, I don't know that they're going to be great in both sides of the ball in the line of scrimmage. I'm interested to see the toughness that Lincoln R- – Lincoln Riley inherited a lot of toughness and physicality from Bob Stoops. The further they got removed from Bob Stoops, you could see some of that go away. You've got to instill that at USC. So I look for them to have receivers and high flying, but I wonder how tough they'll be in the trenches with a tough schedule, um, coming out the gates. And then when I look at Brian Kelly – the standard is national championship. This is simple. Ed Orgeron, who you think what you want about him as a coach, won a championship. Les Miles, yep. think about what you want to think about him as a coach. Both of them out of the coaching profession right now, won championships there. So Brian Kelly is expected to come in and have success. 21 transfers come in. You got your new quarterback. Like I think Brian Kelly and LSU are sitting, sitting in a situation where they should be okay year one. But after that, bro, your, your, your expectations are going to go through the roof.
0: Mm. All right, we'll get you out of here on this. There is this enormous development that the college football playoff is expanding to 12 teams. It's expanding from 4 to 12 with no stop in between. Boom, 4 to 12. What do you think of this whole thing?
3: I think it's good. I, I, the more teams, the better. The more brands that get to get in the college football playoff, the better. And Tony, I think the biggest reason why is because how many guys do we see opting out left and right in the middle of the season, towards the end of the season, where bowl games don't matter? Dude, you're going to keep so many people in the hunt. Purdue just lost, you know, week one to Penn State, still in the hunt. Everybody, West Virginia just lost, still in the hunt. Do I think it's going to change the landscape of college football in any way, shape, or form? No. The four best teams are still going to win. And If you look at a year ago, it would have been fun to do all the different scenarios with Pitt being in and all the teams that we could throw in there and Ohio State being in. I think the best four teams would have been still the best four teams and we would have got to see you know the same teams win. So I don't think it's going to change the outcome, but more people involved, more players playing, more games for us, the viewer, I think it's going to be a really fun thing for college football.
0: Thank you so much, David. It is always great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, David. Appreciate you guys. College game day from Columbus starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow morning. Let's take one last break. Still to come, did Pitt or Penn State have the bigger win last night?
1: And the Boston Celtics, Tony, get some bad
0: news. David Pollock is wonderful. And I'm telling you, he was on at 7 in the morning. I came back from walking the dog. I saw him.
2: The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
0: Happy time, people. Happy 62nd birthday, Eric Dickerson. The Hall of Fame running back set the record for single-season rush yards. 1984 for the Rams with 2,105. That season, Dickerson averaged 5.6 yards per carry and 131.6 rushing yards per game. Dickerson was a six-time Pro Bowler, fifth all-time in rushing yards per game, ninth all-time in total rushing yards, 13,259. In recent years, he has become the ram ambassador, a sort of ombudsman for the team, I guess. He <laughs> caused a small fury recently when the Rams went to a new uniform. Dickerson looked at the Ram's horn and called it horrible. He compared it to two bananas.
1: It's important to point out, Tony, the two bananas thing is actually kinder than what he called it a couple months earlier. He said it looked, um, how do I say this, Uh, more urological than that, let's say that.
0: Okay. Happy anniversary, Pat Fitzgerald. This is for Wilbon, who we are thinking of. On this day 27 years ago, Fitzgerald, then a star linebacker on the Northwestern football team, led the Wildcats, a 28-point underdog, to a stunning victory on the road at number nine Notre Dame. Fitzgerald is still at Northwestern. This is his 17th season as head coach. His overall record is 110-90, and 90, including the recent win in Ireland over Nebraska. He's had three 10-win seasons, and his teams are 5-5 five and five in bowl games. And if you don't think Fitzgerald has done a great job in Northwestern, consider that in Wilbon's four years there as a student, Northwestern won a total of three games.
1: <laughs> Tony, I was texting with Wilbon. Wilbon texted me, actually. He was mad, number one, that I had picked against the Chicago Sky. He was right about that earlier this week. But the other thing is, I asked him if he, like, was going to move to Ireland now. He says to me, um, I'm a desert guy. Love Dublin, but I don't do rain. 300 days a year, exclamation point. So news, maybe someone... Happy
0: trails. Happy trails to this fake punt mid-play. You're watching Dyson Roberts of South Carolina State fake a punt last night against Central Florida in the first quarter with UCF ahead 7-0. Roberts needed to make 19 yards on the play. He got about 10 when he decided it's not a great idea, and he punted the ball. The only problem was that Roberts was 10 (laughs) yards past the line of scrimmage. It's illegal to punt the ball once you pass the line of scrimmage. So I think it's fair to ask Roberts exactly what were you thinking? Earlier in the game, Roberts did successfully run a fake punt. Later in the game, he got a punt blocked for a touchdown. UCF ended up winning 56 to 10. The only advice
1: I have for someone making such a bad decision is pretend you're hurt afterwards, like grab a hammy. Make it seem like you're actually a victim somehow, even if you're not in any way.
0: He got so much airtime on this show by doing he those really things. UCF 1 got no airtime. Big finish, here we go. <laughs> the Celtics say Danilo Gallinari. Tore the ACL in his left knee. That is a big deal, right?
1: It is a big deal. He's a former
0: Nick. I eat at an
1: Italian restaurant with his photo on the wall. Best wishes to him. Spencer Strider, meanwhile, of the Braves, struck out a team record 16-8 over eight last night. Are you impressed?
0: More than Smoltz, more than Maddox, more than Glavin, more than Spawn. The G League. We use the Elam or Elam ending in overtime games. Is that all right with you? Elam ending,
1: yes. Target score, yes, please. Injured UConn star Paige Becker says she will return for her senior season rather than enter the WNBA draft. Your thoughts?
0: I'm good for her. If she wants to play college ball, win a championship in college, then go play pro, good for her. Last one, Pitt beat West Virginia, Penn State edged Purdue. Which was the more significant game?
1: Can I vote for uh, Purdue just because the guy who vomited after the pick six, the puked six? (laughs) I vote for that guy.
0: (laughs) We're out of time. We'll try and do better the next time. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
1: And I'm Pablo Torre. PTI and Michael Wilbon, yes, we will return on Tuesday. So please check out ESPN Daily and Debatable, Tony's favorite show. But for now, here is SportsCenter.
0: Is it Elam or Elam? I don't really know what it is. Pablo, you did a great job all week.
1: But not after the kicker. Thank you.